Steve did a great job with those ancient place names, didn't he? Congratulations. The Lord be with you. Right before Jesus finished his ministry, and in a pre-industrial age, flying straight up into the sky, which, let's face it, was a lot to take in, the disciples were gathered around him, and they said to him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And then Jesus said, you just watch what's going to happen next. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our next scene is the disciples sorting out a bit of administrative particulars. The business of who would take Judas's place as number 12. They're throwing dice or drawing straws or whatever it is, casting lots was for them. And they picked a guy named Matthias. And that's when everything changed. The wind of the Spirit blew into the room and tongues as of fire, whatever that means, was above their heads. And they spoke in miraculous languages. Everyone was surprised. What a wild scene. This was a Holy Spirit ruckus, and it drew a big crowd. And not just any crowd. The text calls them devout Jews from every nation under heaven. These were a gathered people, and this is not an accident. These are people, pilgrims from all over the place who come to Jerusalem for an extra special double festival the citywide harvest festival, like Don already said, Shavuot, 50 days after Pentecost, in addition to the celebration of that day when Moses brought down the tablets of the law from Mount Sinai. And where do these people come from? Well, they were the remnant of Jewish communities that have been scattered by the whims and trends of politics and wars over the years. Sometimes it was the Assyrians, sometimes it was the Babylonians, sometimes it was the Persians. These people held on. This congregation who witnessed Peter's first sermon, maybe the first sermon in the whole of the church, were right there out on the street, perfectly situated, culturally, historically, mobile people waiting in hope in their own little towns, wherever they're from, passing on their faith traditions to their children. There are people culturally, geographically dispersed, speaking their own dialects and languages, adapting as needed, and yet faithful and devout worshipers, versed in scripture, people who prayed and practiced. This is the living witness of a faith and identity which survived the crushing blows of mighty empires. These were the people who heard Peter's first sermon. And their initial response was, well, it kind of varies, didn't it? On the one hand, there's awe and puzzlement. But for others, just cynicism and a bad joke. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? 
But others sneered and said they were filled with new wine. As if new wine gives you the ability to speak other languages. When we read this passage, or maybe the whole book of Acts for that matter, it's hard not to compare our own modest efforts with this amazing, mind-blowing event and all the other events in the days of the early church. And it's a fair question a lot of people have asked. Why don't we see miracles like this? Why don't we get these sorts of events in our lives, in our lives, in this community, in this space? Why don't we have miracles like this in a church service like this? And yet I think a lot of us have felt the pressure, the expectation. Maybe it's from the tradition you grew up with or the people you hung around. Pressure to live the miracle. Be a vessel of the Spirit. Not necessarily with a tongue of fire over your head or a rushing wind, but maybe with the hope that we might find ourselves alongside someone like Peter or the disciples, emboldened, animated, changed, and empowered by the Spirit, prepared for mighty deeds. Acts of power such as these. Readers of the ancient texts, interpreters of the Holy Scripture, maybe you wanted to be a healer or a preacher, an evangelist, a called person sent to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all sorts of men from all sorts of places, merchants and soldiers and kings and prisoners and slaves and abandoned and forgotten people transformed by this gospel, baptized and commissioned to go and do the same. The book of Acts sets the bar really high for the church Don't get me wrong, this call, this vehicle of the Holy Spirit has transformed and shaped communities. It's propelled the church through history. How many missionary journeys began in this spirit? How many churches or works of love and justice and mercy dotting the globe were driven into being by the Spirit? The same Spirit that made a guy named Alexander MacDonald. The Baptist pioneer plant a church out in a place called Edmonton on the Canadian prairies. Does this sound like your story? Do you feel like one of these people? This is a tough act to follow. And the majority, if any of us, don't necessarily feel this courageous or spirit-filled. Truly, most of the time, I would say we have more in common with all of those astonished people on the sidewalk. Some of you, over the years, have just wandered in. Many of you have been looking for a church community your whole life, and thank God you're here. Maybe you're like Laura, and this has been the place that has blessed you since you were a baby. A faith nurtured by this place and these people. What a gift. No matter how you got here, No matter what you did to get into this place, you'll often find yourself amazed, perplexed, grateful, hopeful, faithful, but questioning. We ask one another for guidance and wisdom. We seek the scriptures with our doubts and concerns. Hopefully this is a safe place to do that. 
But what does this mean? Together we continue to grow and learn as a gathered people in this time, in this place. And always, always we need discernment and wisdom for the next step. Because the way ahead is not always clear. We need to practice listening to the Spirit. In every generation, the church wrestles with this call. Following the Spirit in our own little circles, but then even out to the ends of the earth. The Spirit gathers in this great assortment of people. And even as we press into this work, sometimes we struggle to find our voice. Because we don't always listen very well. To the Spirit or to each other. Sometimes we give in to cynicism or complacency. May we have ears to hear. What are the voices in our own context that we need to listen to? This last spring, Ryan and me and Joyce Tushin and Ken Bellows went down to the biennial assembly for our denomination, the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada. This is a time for our association of churches to do some business. They vote on things. No, they don't cast lots. They share reports. They talk money. We vote on policy and protocols. But this year, our assembly included a presentation and a guided roundtable discussion. Our topics included talk about what might come down the lane as minimum membership standards for churches. And, more to the point, what does it mean for our churches to be a safe and welcoming place for LGBTQ people? These are not easy conversations to have. And I'll confess, I didn't go into those meetings with very high expectations. I had a lot of doubts about what we might accomplish, and my defense mechanism is probably snark and cynicism. I was feeling kind of nervous, definitely outnumbered, maybe a little punch, punchy, worried or scared, uneasy about the future shape and direction of our denomination and where a place like First Baptist might fit into it. So the table talk came, and I found myself with six other Baptists. And we listened to each other as we listened to the guided questions. And we agreed on some things, and we disagreed on some others, and we did okay. But there was one pastor at my table whose views on these issues were way different from my own. And not just these issues, maybe almost all of the issues. And over our time together, we disagreed, and we debated, and we questioned one another, and sometimes we furrowed our brows kindly, And sincerely, I'm glad to say. But afterwards, I walked away from that discussion unsure exactly what to make of it. Feeling just as outnumbered as before, maybe more so, did we accomplish anything? Or did we just reinforce our own points of view? Is this a turning point towards an era of diversity and unity for our denomination? Or is this the beginning of another regrettable Baptist division. Hard to say. 
Joyce and I sat with a bunch of people and had hot wings and beer to reflect on our times together, and the tables were pretty similar to mine. Some of them had even harder conversations. Here's the thing, though. Later that day, the same pastor who I'd had so much disagreement with came and found me. And he shook my hand, and he looked me in the eye, and he said with enthusiasm and sincerity, something like this that I'll summarize, I'm really glad I tracked you down because I want to thank you. Thank you for being willing to debate these hard things with me, even if we disagree. And I hope you and me can talk more in the future with mutual respect and goodwill. And I hope in the future we can say we are genuinely happy to see each other. I didn't see any tongues of fire and I didn't hear the rushing of wind, but that was a Holy Spirit moment, to be sure. Humbling and encouraging for me. For me, the contours of the conversation had changed. I caught sight of the person, not just the outline of an argument. I saw the ways that we are connected that I had completely lost sight of. I heard a sincere voice, even amidst our profound disagreement. And maybe most important, in my own heart, I felt a desire to find a way forward even though I don't know what that might look like, even though I don't know what comes next. In the weeks since that meeting, I've felt that same gentle tug, a pull towards a more hopeful way of seeing our own landscape. Maybe even with a little less cynicism and snark along the way. I don't really think I have answers, and maybe I have a whole bunch more questions But hopefully I have a renewed receptivity to further conversations like this. An openness to conversations with people that I used to think were a total waste of time. What does this mean? How is the Spirit at work in our midst? Are there new ways that we in this place might make our own Holy Spirit ruckus? Has the Spirit been nudging, guiding, tugging at you, gathering you in, you assembly of pilgrims and travelers and hopeful companions, often amazed and perplexed, regularly puzzled, paying attention, asking hard questions, having difficult but worthwhile conversations, all the while unwitnessing the folding of the work of the Spirit in the world? Gently, patiently, behind the scenes, always there when we didn't even know it in ways we couldn't even comprehend. Friends, the Holy Spirit calls us together, animates us, empowers us, transforms us, always surprising us, always equipping us for works of love and mercy. This is the living spirit in our midst. Thanks be to God.